Hello, hello. This is Katawani, back with the story of Ramayana, episode 8, Rama Restores Tatakavana. In the last few episodes, I've mentioned Devas, Indra, Asuras, Rakshasas, Yakshas, and Apsaras. In this episode, to give some context and background, I'll start with a detailed introduction to who these are. In one of the previous episodes, I mentioned that Maharshi Kashyapa is a Manasputra son of Sage Marichi. Sage Marichi is a mind-born son of Brahma. Manasputra means son born of mind, a mind that is one with the supreme reality, Brahman, and blessed with immense spiritual powers. A reminder, Brahma is the creator god who originated from the navel or center of primordial divinity, Vishnu. According to Vishnu Purana, a collection of ancient stories, Maharishi Kashyapa, a great seer, married the 13 daughters of Daksha, a mind-born son of Brahma, to carry out Brahma's edict to populate the worlds. Kashyapa's children and their descendants were Devas, Daityas, also known as Asuras, Yakshas, Rakshasas, Nagas, Gandharvas, Apsaras, and other spirits and gods of the woods, birds, animals, herbs, plants, and trees. Deva or Devata translates to Lord or God. Devi is the corresponding feminine expression. Devas are benevolent gods. They are divine manifestations of natural and supernatural forces. Mitra or Surya is sun. Vayu is wind. Agni is fire god. Baruna is the god of rain. The Ashwins, horsemen, are the twin gods of health and safety. Devas are essentially the deities of all the natural elements needed for man's survival. Indra is the foremost of the Devas and is the leader of these gods. Devas, including Indra, are considered to be the sons of Aditi with Kashyapa. Devas are all-powerful and help maintain and preserve cosmic order in the universe according to the laws of nature. Devas live in heaven. The Daityas, sons of Diti with Kashyapa, are demon gods of immense power. Daityas are also known as Ashuras. Ashura translates to opposite of Sura, a good warrior. Ashura occupy the netherworld, the depths and abyss. In the ancient stories, men nourish the Devas with their prayers, karma, dharma, and yajna ceremonies. Hymns and rituals to worship and please the Devas are prescribed in the Vedas. Devas on their end grant the humans their desires and bestow favorable natural conditions for humanity and their crops to thrive. Devas also protect humanity from evil and forces outside the control of mankind. On the other side, Ashuras, lust for power, riches, and sensory pleasures. In the ancient stories, Ashuras are brutal and violent, oppressing people, rishis, devas, and others. They're passionate, uncontrolled, and deceitful. They are constantly trying to increase their influence and power to be super gods, rule all three worlds, and bring all, including the devas, under their control and rule. The three worlds are Bhu or Earth, Swarg or Heaven, and Patal or Netherworld. 
Yaksha and Rakshasas were sons of Kasha, another god of another daughter of Daksha, but Kashyapa. Yaksha was magical and his descendants, Yakshas and Yakshanis, were illusionists and magicians, mischievous but working towards the greater good. Kubera, the god of wealth, is considered to be a Yaksha. Rakshasa, Kasha's second son with Maharishi Kashyapa, was mean-spirited, malicious, and masochistic. Rakshasas and Rakshasis, his descendants, are described in ancient stories as powerful warriors, greedy, masochistic, deceitful, and hideous in appearance. Rakshasi is the feminine expression. The Rakshasas, as a tribe, possessed magical powers and immense strength. They could change their appearance, disappear at will, appear anywhere, and wield the power of Maya or illusion to confound their foes. They are described as man-eating, ferocious creatures. Like men, Rakshasas lived on earth. Pisasi, also Kashipa's descendants, were wicked spirits or ghosts, believed to haunt and taunt people in dilapidated and long-forgotten places and forests. The Gandharvas and Apsharas are children of Kashipa that brought joy to people with their music, dance, and other fine arts. They live in heaven with the Devas. Their descendants from their union with men and women on earth brought music, dance, and arts to the world of humans. Apsaras are celestial ladies. The Apsaras that find repeated mentions in ancient stories are Ramba, Menaka, Tilotama, and Urvashi. The Gandharvas are the male counterparts, children of a different mother. Gandharvas are musicians and dancers as well. They are the creative partners and consorts of the Apsaras. They are considered to be the messengers between Devas, the gods, and Manushya, the humans. There are more, many more tribes and beings, the Nagas, the Maruts, the Danavas, mentioned in the Puranas as Kashipa's descendants. Men and women are descendants of Manu, the first man, and Shatarupa, his consort. Manu's descendants, Kashipa's descendants, and other descendants of Brahma's mind-born children populated all the corners of the ancient worlds. They were a mix of good and evil, harbingers of happiness and grief. Some were sacred and others feared as wicked, dangerous, and unholy. The Puranas contain numerous stories of how these children and their descendants got into trouble with each other and the gods. Maharishi Kashyapa, the primeval father, reiterated and assured his wives, primordial mothers of all beings, how good and evil, all their children, have to coexist in the world. He blessed that the Daitya, sons of Diti, also known as Ashuras, would be more powerful and win more battles against their benevolent half-brothers, the Devas. He blessed the evil Rakshasas with immense strength that would increase with sunset and make them unbeatable after nightfall. The mother of Nagas, the serpents, was granted the wish that at least some of her 1,000 children would be famous on the side of good and others feared by demigod and men. As a great seer, he advised and foretold that despite the overwhelming forces of evil, good would consistently prevail with the support of the gods, Brahma, Shiva, Vishnu, Devas, and the Devis. Hope this long introduction is helpful and provides some clarity and background on the many common Indian words 
that are mentioned in ancient stories from India. Now we can return to Rama, Lakshmana and Vishwamitra on the fringes of Tatakavana, the forest of Tataka. Vishwamitra told the brothers Tataka's story and her immense strength of 1000 elephants. The good Rama declared his intentions to follow his father Dasharatha's commands to serve Maharishi Vishwamitra. Rama promised to confidently follow the Rishi's instructions to protect his rituals from the dark deeds of the Rakshasas. Rama and Lakshmana, young men looking strong and ready, stood there, bowing to the <coughs> Rishi, holding their bows firmly, waiting for the great seer's directions. Vishwamitra was pleased to hear Rama's affirmations. He reminded them that as princes, he, they served the interest of the society and had to carry out their actions, karma, whether cruel or sinful or wrong, for the protection of their citizens. It was their dharma, righteous duty, he insisted, to bear the burden of being protectors of the kingdom. He reminded Rama that even though Tataka was born a yakshini, a yaksha lady, and was now a rakshasi, that she was still indeed a woman. Despite that, her cruel deeds were intolerable, caused grief, deaths and promoted adharma injustice. Because of her brutal actions, Vishwamitra reiterated that she had forfeited her rights as a woman to protection during warm and combat. He urged Rama to show no compassion and destroy Thataka for the welfare of the kingdom and its people. Rama fastened his bowstring to the other end of the bow, pulled the strong string all the way to his ears and twanged it. The sound resounded across the forest, interrupting the usual noises. Immediately, they heard thundering footsteps rushing towards them. Tataka appeared at the clearing, a giantess looking contemptuously at the puny men. She roared at them and easily picked a boulder and threw it at the princess. Rama's arrow pierced the boulder and shattered it. Rama aimed his arrows at the extremities of the Rakshasi. In the beginning, her ears, her nose, her hands and legs. He intended to show his skill and aim to scare her away and drive her out of these parts. Lakshmana wordlessly followed Rama's intention. It took skill and sacred invocations taught earlier by Vishwamitra to see through Tataka's illusory powers and aim their arrows. Thataka was undeterred by the prince's skill and unfailing aim. She rained boulders, rocks, stones, trees on the brothers. She used her magic to disappear and appear elsewhere to ambush the two brothers. Rama and Lakshmana courageously defended themselves and the sage from Thataka's missiles and attacks. They were quick on their feet, unerring in their aim, composed in their temperament. Their arrows found their mark on her, despite her illusory powers. She roared in response, undaunted, and rushed at them. Rama's arrows cut off her hands. Lakshmana maimed her ears and nose. Tataka was buddy, bloody, but still ferocious. The brothers were relentlessly showering arrows on their ever-moving target. Vishwamitra noticed Rama's restraint and compassion. He cautioned Rama against saying, Rama, kill her. She knows no dharma. Killing women is not recommended in our scriptures, shastras, and it is a sin. But know that several 
unrighteous women have been killed by great men in the past for the common good. Thataka is teasing and playing with you. Her strength will only increase with sunset and nightfall, and she will be unbeatable then. O best among men, descendant of Kakusta, you need not hate killing this woman. You are bound by duty as a prince to kill her, safeguard this country, and secure the welfare of its people. Hearing these words, Rama calmly picked his arrow, aimed it at Tataka's chest, chanted a mantra, an invocation, and without taking his eyes away from her moving body, he shot his arrow. The arrow swiftly found its mark in Tataka's heart center. Bloody and maimed, Tataka rushed furiously towards the men and fell down dead. The devas in heaven rejoiced. Sage Vishwamitra was relieved that the battle was over and gratefully embraced the two, bro- two brothers. With the blessings of the devas, Vishwamitra promised Rama that to express his gratitude to Rama for killing Tataka, he would give Rama as a gift all the divyastras and divine weapons he had acquired through his strenuous austerities and penance all through his life as king and ascetic. Rama and Lakshmana, tired from battle, graciously bowed deep and accepted the sage's blessings. Since it was already close to nightfall, the travelers stayed there that night. The next morning, right after they completed their morning routine and prayers, the water of the river Sarayu purifying and blessing the ceremonies, Vishwamitra taught Rama all the divyastras he possessed. Malmiki list of these numerous divyastras are verses that take up an entire chapter. These astras included Nagastra, Agniastra, and other invocations to ward off disease, hunger, and sleep. As Rama learnt and chanted each invocation, the primary deity for the divyastras, the divine weapons, appeared. In the end, Rama spoke to the Ashtra Devatas, the primary deities of the super weapons, and bid them to keep the invocations for rendering and withdrawing the divyastras in his memory. He bowed low, prayed to them to leave now and return in his time of need when he chanted the invocation. The deities blessed Rama and disappeared. Overnight, the dark, gloomy and dangerous Tatakavana, Tataka's forest, had transformed into a blessed woods without the overpowering evil vibes. The three cheerful travelers continued their journey to Vishwamitra's ashram, observing and enjoying the beauty of the forest, the size of the ancient trees, the musical sounds of the birds, and their own uplifted feelings. As they walked, Rama asked Vishwamitra about his ashram, the Agnya rituals he was preparing for, and information about the remaining Rakshasas, kin of Tataka, to understand his foes and his surroundings better. Vishwamitra told the brothers about this area called Siddhashram, surrounded by beautiful woods, where Lord Vishnu in ancient times was deep in meditation. Siddhashram was also the region where Maharshi Kashipa had set up his ashram, his hermitage. Vishwamitra narrated the ancient story of Mahabali, Maharishi Kashyapa's great-great-grandson. Maharishi Kashyapa had two daityasans, Asuras, Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakashipu. 
Their mother, Diti, was disappointed that her sons would not be gods like her sister, Aditi's sons, the Devas. Kashyapa granted Diti's wishes and blessed the Daityas with immense powers, foreseeing their battles with Devas and the gods. The descendants of these sons are all Asuras. Hiranyaksha, the older son of Diti, was powerful and violent. His actions caused unbearable pain to Bhudevi, the Earth Mother. He tortured her with his violence on the living and non-living matter on Earth and pushed her away from her rightful place into the deep oblivion of space, Akash. After being called on by Devas and Brahma to help Bhudevi and the inhabitants of Earth, Lord Vishnu took the form of a wild boar, Varaha. He retrieved and returned Bhudevi, the Earth Mother, to her rightful place and offered her his constant protection as a Varaha Avatara. He then killed Hiranyaksha in the depths of the ocean after a fierce battle. Hiranyakashipu, the younger Daitya, started strategizing to avoid a similar fate. He adopted severe austerities, performed deep meditation until Brahma appeared before him. He asked, for a wish to ensure immortality in an indirect way. Hiranyakashipu asked that he could not be killed by anything born from a womb or by the devas, asuras, gods, man, animals or birds and that he, Hiranyakashipu, could not be killed on land, in water or in space and that he could not be killed during the day or night, inside or outside and by no weapon, man-made or divine. Brahma, the Grand Seer, granted his wish. Hiranyakashipu felt invincible. He was undefeated in subsequent battles. He destroyed his enemies ruthlessly and ruled all the worlds. He lorded over the Devas, Asharas and mankind. He declared he was the one God and halted any prayers to any gods other than him. When Hiranyakashipu and Prahalada was in his mother's womb, the fetus heard the ancient sage Narada sing Lord Vishnu's names constantly along with the beautiful songs in praise of Lord Vishnu. Prahalada was born an ardent Vishnu devotee who believed Vishnu or Narayana was the one true God. Prahalada followed in Narada's footsteps and chanted Vishnu's name constantly and refused to accept his father Hiranyakashipu as God. Hiranyakashipu was furious and tested Prahalada's devotion and his belief in Vishnu as God by arranging attempts to murder his young son. The unfazed young boy repeated the Lord's name, oblivious to the dangers of falling down a mountain, being tied up in a pit of poisonous serpents, or being drowned in a river. He drank the poison offered to him, stood unperturbed in the path of mad elephants. He sat on his aunt's lap in a raging fire. Prahalada survived all these tortures and attempts on his life unscathed, with courage, with attention only to repeat the Lord's name. Prahalada's story is narrated and reenacted often to this day to instill the belief that the Lord will protect his devotees who adhere to constant and true bhakti devotion. Hiranyakashipu summoned Prahalada to his palace to kill him by his own hands. He felt disrespected by his son while all the worlds worshipped him. 
When he asked Prahlada to show him Vishnu, Prahlada replied calmly that he is everywhere. Hiranyakashipu pointed at a pillar and asked Prahlada, Is your god Vishnu in this? And Prahlada confidently said yes. Hiranyakashipu kicked the pillar. The pillar split open and a terrifying roaring creature, half lion on its upper body and half human on its lower body appeared. Narashimha, the man-lion avatar of Lord Vishnu, angered by the ordeals of his devotee Prahalada, roared and jumped out of the pillar. Narashimha was pleased by Prahalada's confidence in his all-pervading presence and had come to Prahalada's aid. He seized Hiranyakashipu and went to the threshold of the palace doorway, neither inside nor outside. Narashima laid Hiranyakashipu on his legs and tore into him with his lion paws and teeth. At twilight, Hiranyakashipu died on Narashimha's lap, not on earth, heaven or in water, neither day nor night, killed by Narashimha, a creature neither man nor animal but half of both with no weapon save its claws and teeth. Prahalada became the king of the Asuras, and he was a more unifying king than his father. He was beloved and respected by his subjects, Asuras and men. He was a benevolent ruler of all the worlds for a long time with the blessing of Lord Vishnu. Prahalada's son was killed by Vishnu in a battle against the Devas. Prahalada's grandson, Bali or Mahabali, became king and with the help of powerful, powerful Asharas, including his grandfather and son Bhana, ruled the three worlds. Shukracharya, a renowned and great seer, was the guru of Asharas or Daityas from Hiranyaksha's time. He advised and guided the Daityas, including Mahabali. Mahabali, the grandson of Prahalada and great-great-grandson of Kashyapa followed in his father and grandfather's footsteps and was a wise, fearless and generous Ashura. During Mahabali's reign, the Ashuras feared no consequences. They lived boldly, spreading their influence and violence across all three worlds. They indulged their greed and lust for sensory pleasures uncontrolled. The good people of earth and the devas in heaven were humiliated by the powerful asuras. Prayers and yagna or sacrificial ceremonies performed by men and sages were disrupted and halted. Crops failed, people suffered, the women in all the worlds felt unprotected. Kashyapa and Aditi, the ancient parents of all the tribes, had made their home in Siddhashram and prayed to Lord Vishnu to be born as their child reinstate dharma, justice, and satya, the truth. They most importantly sought to curtail the evil, godless influence of the Ashuras under Mahabali and save Indra, their son, from Mahabali. Lord Vishnu, always pleased to serve his staunch devotees, kept his promise to fight the wicked whenever evil and adharma injustice overpowered his followers. Vishnu was born as Aditi's son, Bhamana, in the Siddhashram, Bhamana, this dwarf avatar or incarnation of Mahavishnu, grew up in these forests, learned the Vedas from Kashyapa and came of age with the appearance of the young ascetic. 
Mahabali was performing 100 yajnas with the guidance of his guru Shukracharya to overthrow Indra and become the leader of gods. Bhamana approached Mahabali's yajna sacrificial grounds and begged for alms. Mahabali generously offered whatever the Bhamana desired, gold, villages, food or cattle. The young Brahmana responded that he did not seek more than his needs and asked for three paces of land or three steps, three footsteps of land. Mahabali's guru Shukracharya, a great seer, cautioned Mahabali that the Vamana Brahmana, the dwarf ascetic, seemed to be more than he appeared to be. He asked Mahabali to be wary and not grant him his wishes. Mahabali, generous and adhering to the truth, ignored his guru's warning and used the sacrificial waters to give the Vamana the land he wanted. Vamana grew in size to be Trivikrama, with one foot on earth, the other on heaven. He looked at Mahabali, his head up in the clouds in the sky, as if to say, where do I put my foot for the third step? Mahabali, looking up at <coughs> Vamana, realized this was none other than Mahavishnu. He bowed his head low, asking for the Vamana to place his foot on his head. Vamana placed his foot on Mahabali's head. The symbolism here is that Mahavishnu, the devotee, is equivalent to a whole world. Vamana told Mahabali that he would be a Chiranjeevi, immortal, and that Mahabali would rule as king of the netherworld, Patala. Since then, the Asuras have lived in the abyss and never returned to the earth or heaven. Mahabali agreed to all these conditions, relieved to be humbled by none other than Lord Vishnu. Lord Vishnu, in all his glory, granted that Mahabali could return to the lands he once ruled one day every year to see the earth and sky. This day of Mahabali is Mahabali's return is still celebrated in India with pomp, feasts and festivities to welcome a generous king. Vishwamitra concluded, this Siddhashram, an ancient home to Maharishi Kashyapa and Lord Vishnu in his Vamana Avatara, has come to be my home to serve humanity and the gods. Siddha in Sanskrit translates to success. Siddhashram was renowned as a sacred site, a beautiful and ideal place for successful spiritual pursuits and tapas meditation. No wonder then that Vishwamitra chose this place to pursue his many purposes complete his spiritual desires, bring death and destruction to the Rakshasas in the region, and fame and glory to Rama. The three tired travelers arrived at the Siddhashram Hermitage, deeply absorbed and reflecting on these ancient stories of Lord Vishnu's avatars or incarnations. The other ascetics in the Hermitage the ashramvasis joyously welcomed Vishwamitra, washed his feet and sought his blessings. The ascetics performed Atiti Puja for the two noble princes, a warm, respectful welcome and hospitality. Vishwamitra asked the two brothers to make the sacred ashram their home too. After resting for a while, Rama approached Vishwamitra and asked him to start prepare preparations for the yajna ceremonies the same day. 
He expressed his readiness to stand guard and protect the preparations and rituals from the Rakshasa's disruptive actions. Vishwamitra was pleased by Rama's promptness and blessed Rama and Lakshmana affectionately. He cheerfully agreed to prepare for the yajna ceremonies that day. He initiated the prescribed rites and duties to prepare the sacrificial grounds and began to gather materials and people to perform the ceremonies. Vishwamitra started his vratas or fast at an auspicious time that evening. The fast included restricting food, water and speech to control his senses in preparation for the spiritual rituals. The two brothers went to bed that night after finishing their Sandhya puja or evening worship. The next morning, they asked the ashram masis where and when to expect the Rakshasas and the duration of the Yajna ceremonies. The ascetics informed them to be prepared to stay away for the next six days and six nights, the entire duration of the Yajna, to protect the ceremonial fires and the sacred rites. The two brothers eagerly set up positions, chanted invocations they'd learned from Vishwamitra, Bala Natibala, to stay vigilant and keep away fatigue, hunger, and thirst. They dutifully kept watch, and the first five days and nights went by uneventfully and peacefully. The yajna ceremonies proceeded unhindered. On the sixth day, Rama cautioned Lakshmana to be more watchful, just as he was Stating his warning, the Agni in the Homakundam, the sacrificial altar fire, brightened as if detecting the presence of evil in the surrounding. The sky darkened suddenly as the sun was covered by hovering Rakshasas. Maricha and Subahu, sons of Tataka, along with the other Rakshasas, had arrived for their revenge and to disrupt the Yajna. They started flinging blood and flesh from the sky into the sacrificial fires. The two brothers, Rama and Lakshmana, deployed volleys of arrows to keep the garbage from falling into the altar grounds. While Lakshmana protected the ritual grounds and kept the Rakshasas busy, Rama invoked the Manavastra, a divine weapon blessed by Mani, the first man. Rama aimed the Manavastra at Maricha, the terrified Rakshasa Maricha, though blessed with the power to appear and disappear at will, could not move fast enough to avoid the Manavastra. The arrow, bright like fire, stuck Maricha and threw him far away into the distant seas. Subahu, his brother, responded with vengeance. Rama swiftly deployed the Agniyastra, divine weapon of Agni, the fire god, against Subahu. Subahu was incinerated and died immediately. Rama and Lakshmana battled the remaining Rakshasas. Rama deployed the Vayavyastra, the, uh, the Vyastra blessed by uh, Vayu, the wind god, and the remaining Rakshasas perished immediately. Everyone present at the Yajna rejoiced greatly. The brothers continued to be vigilant until the ceremonies were completed, the gifts and offerings distributed, and Vishwamitra approached them. Vishwamitra came up to them and blessed the two brothers, prostrated at his feet. He lovingly embraced them. Vishwamitra declared that the princes had fulfilled their vow executed on their father, King Dasharatha's commands. He proclaimed that the Siddhashram, hermitage of success, lived up to its name, and he had fulfilled his spiritual goals to complete the yajna ceremonies for the welfare of the people and the kingdom. After six days and six nights of no food, water, or rest, 
the inhabitants of the ashram completed their evening prayers and duties. All their hearts and minds were fulfilled and peaceful. Together, they rejoiced and ate the sacred offerings from the sacrifice. That night, the brothers and the ascetics rested peacefully. The next morning, in Siddhashram, the two princes completed their dawn routine and prayers. They waited to approach their Guru Vishwamitra. When it was appropriate, Rama and Lakshmana came up to Vishwamitra, bowed deep, and Rama expressed their readiness to act in his service. Vishwamitra, radiant and glowing from within, from the success of his spiritual desires, was pleased by the humility of the two princes. He cheerfully informed them about his plans to go to Mithila with other ascetics. He said, Janaka, the king of Videha, is performing Ignya ceremonies. Janaka, a Raja Rishi, is blessed with a mighty bow. This bow is worshipped as a primary deity with offerings of fragrant flowers, incense and sandal. Some of us are going to witness the Yajna rituals. Join us to witness the rituals, pay respect to the king and see his mighty bow. The two princes readily agreed to join the sage in his new travels. Vishwamitra, his spiritual purpose fulfilled successfully, bid farewell to Siddhashram and the ascetics that lived there. He sought blessings from the forest deities, Gandharvas and other good spirits, announcing his intention to leave the area and go to the northern banks of River Ganga, also known as River Janbi, in that region. The travelers started their journey to Mithila, King Janaka's capital city. Vishwamitra was not only accompanied by the two brothers and other ascetics in the region, but birds and animals that wanted to be in his elevating company joined the party. The common people from the area who heard about the brothers who vanquished the Rakshasas were excited to follow and travel with these two powerful princes and the energetic Brahmarishi. The travelers spent that night on the banks of River Sona, enjoying the golden colors of the sunset and the vibrant green of the forest around them. We will leave them to rest here. Until next time, Ram Ram.